Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another week of Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, and I'm the lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And I am so thankful that you are joining us today because we are wrapping up uh, a four-part message series that uh, we've been calling, I Want to Believe, But. And so if you're just joining us, what we've been talking about is the really big issue that there are so many people today that want to believe in God, but there's some type of hurdle, some type of an obstacle. Now, if you've been listening to a venture podcast for a little while now, you know that I love to have a good time and I love to tell some stories, uh, really some fun stories, some, some funny stories. Uh, but I want to tell you today, I, I may be a little bit more serious because to me, this is one of the biggest and most important issues for so many people. It's the biggest hurdle that keeps them from fully believing in God. So if you've been with us in the previous weeks, uh, what I've talked about is the reality that so many people are rejecting God, but I've made the argument that they're not rejecting the true God, they're rejecting a distorted image or view of God. Week number one, we talked about what I call an on-demand God, right? God's got to do what I want. Well, that God does not exist. And then week number two, we talked about killjoy God. I want to believe in God, but there are too many rules. And we found out that religion complicates and Jesus makes it simple with love. Week number three, we talked about goosebump God. I, I want to believe in God, but I don't feel him. And we showed how that's actually a distorted view of God, right? Always having to feel God isn't who God really is. So today I want to talk about what may be the most commonly uh, embraced distorted view of God. And, and that's what I call heartless God. I want to believe in God, but he doesn't seem to care, right? In fact, I had a conversation at a, at a football game, and I was watching a, a local high school football game that's here, uh, and I was sitting next to a gentleman who was watching his son play. And we kind of started having this conversation back and forth, and it was kind of casual, and we talked for a minute, and we'd watch the game for a minute and then talk for a minute and so forth. And midway through, I saw him kind of looking over at me with a different type of look. And at the same time, I knew I was giving him a look that I knew him from somewhere, right? And uh, he finally said, hey, by chance, are you a pastor at a church? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, I thought so. I thought I recognized you. I think my son went to your church, your youth group, a couple times with his friends. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, not, that's where I know him from. And so as I began to think and ponder that question a little bit more, I thought maybe he went to church somewhere, and I found out that he didn't. But he was this incredibly sincere guy. And so we talked some more, and then he asked me this question. He said, hey, I'm, I'm curious. How do you believe in a God when he doesn't even seem to care? That's what he asked. And I knew this guy wanted to talk, so I kind of said, well, tell me why you're asking that, you know, to give me some more information and, and the background of that. And he just kind of let it roll out, okay, from there on. And 
and the hurt was just pouring out. And he told me about how he grew up in a Catholic church. He always went to mass. He married a Catholic girl. They always went to mass together and they got married in the church and, and they had a son and they wanted a daughter and then had another son. And then they wanted a daughter even more and then finally had a daughter. And unfortunately, his daughter had a very severe heart issue that he began to tell me about. And he said, my daughter had to go in for an incredibly high-risk surgery. And so the priest prayed, and they lit candles, and they prayed and prayed and prayed and believed that his daughter would be okay and make it through the surgery. Well, unfortunately, his daughter did not make it through the surgery. And my heart just kind of sank for this guy because here I'm a dad who loves my kids, and the guy's asking a very fair question. How can you believe in a God who didn't answer that type of prayer? And chances are pretty good that many of you have, uh, have had that own, your own moment like that. You know, some of you even right now listening, you're saying, I'm praying and I'm trying to believe, but there's all these things happening. How can I believe in a God that doesn't seem to care? And it can even be just as simple as you open up a, a news app, right? And you see something going on in the world like another terrorist attack and, and innocent people are killed or a ridiculously senseless racist shooting. How could somebody do that to another human being is what you're thinking. And it doesn't seem fair. It could be some kind of natural disaster and hundreds of people are killed. It could be something that's very personal. In fact, even right now, uh, if you just kind of think about the people that you know in your lives, right, there are probably one or two or maybe even three that you can think of that have been abused in some significant way. And if you are that person or if you love that person, then you're like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? It doesn't seem too fair. It could be something simple. You're praying for God to do something. You know he can, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't take the headaches away, or he doesn't answer the prayer for your child, or you're trying your best, and you're doing good, and you're helping people, and you're working hard, and, and everybody else seems to be getting ahead. No matter how hard you try, you just don't, don't seem to get any breaks. Whatever it is, you start to ask yourself, God, are you there? Are you good? I want to believe in you, but you don't even seem to care. I want to believe God, but you seem so heartless. If you've ever felt like that, let me just tell you this right now. You're not the only person. You're not the only one at all. In fact, a lot of times when people read stories in the Bible, they look at these Bible characters and they think, you know, wow, they're they're bigger than life and 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 they don't even realize it. That's what you you think and and they were very real people that experienced very, very real emotions just like all of us. And you can go down the list. There was David in the Old Testament. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. We've been talking about him quite a bit over the last couple of weeks and and he cries out again and again, where are you, God? Why don't you hear my prayers? Why don't you do something? My enemies are after me. God, are you even listening? And then you can read Job. And I would be curious if anybody you've ever read Job because it will mess with your mind. It's, he's a really righteous guy, and, and Satan wants to attack him and takes his livestock, takes his career, takes his health. His family's a wreck. He's got boils all over his body. His friends turn into jerks. His wife looks at him and says, well, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? How's that for needing some marriage therapy, right? Um, where are you, God? This doesn't seem fair. The one to me, for whatever reason, it hits me in the most personal way is when I read in the New Testament about a guy named John the Baptist. 
If you're not a church person, you may not know the history of John the Baptist, but this guy is the cousin of Jesus, and he has and he is recognized that he has a very important purpose, and his purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus. That's his purpose, okay? And this is what he's going to do. He's He devotes his life to saying, Jesus is coming, everybody. Get ready. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. Jesus is coming. And people start to follow him. And he says, no, don't follow me, follow Jesus, you know, because he's this humble guy. And he says, I'm unworthy to untie his shoes. And and he's the one. Then John the Baptist gets arrested for doing the right thing. He's in prison and, and you know what he's thinking, right? If, if he's in prison and, and, and you've and you're got the situation going on, you, you can just kind of put together what John the Baptist is thinking. You can also read some of this in scripture, okay? It says he's thinking, you know what? Hey, I'm the cousin of Jesus. I've been serving Jesus and I've seen his power. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's opened blind eyes. He's turned water into wine. He's going to, to so come in into this prison and, you know, send 10 angels and they're going to be huge guys and, and they're going to just go poof, you know, and all the bad guys are going to get hemorrhoids or something. I don't know. And, and then an angel's going to go swoosh with the sword and, and lightning's going to flash and the doors are going to come open and the music's going to swell up and he's going to step out there. There's going to be smoke everywhere and Jesus is going to be there and they're going to knuckle bump, you know, and everything. That's what he's thinking. And he waits and he waits. Jesus, are, are you coming? And he waits some more. This is what he did at one point. He, he asked one of the other guys, Hey, go find Jesus and ask him, are you really the one that we are expecting? Or should we look for someone else? What happened? God, Jesus, you can and you're not. Do you even care? If you've ever been at that place where you wanted to believe, but it doesn't seem like God cared, you're not the only one. In the next few minutes, uh, let me take you, I want to I give you two promises, okay, in the next few minutes. Number one, I will not be able to answer every question that you have. So if you're going, hey, Dan, man, I wish you could answer this question, or if you want to write in or something and ask a question, I might not be able to answer it with this, okay? But number two, I can point you there to the one that can, that one day will do just that. One day he will answer your question. So what I want to do is kind of give you two big thoughts today. Okay, things to embrace, truths to remember when God doesn't seem fair. So uh, here's the uh, first big thought is, is when God doesn't seem fair is this. Number one, God always has a purpose in your pain. Okay, God has a purpose. He is good. Even when you're hurting, God is still working. And I don't know what it might be. Someone right now, you may have, uh, someone has maybe let you down. There may be someone here or listening that, that you've recently lost someone important to you. It could have been a broken relationship. It could have been someone that was sick and didn't make it. It could be that there's someone that lied to you, maybe took advantage of you or, or gossiped about you. It might be that life's just not going the way you want. It could be something as big as cancer. It might be something as inconvenient as a sore throat on a big day where you have a presentation at work. It could be that you're praying for someone that, that you love that's under hospice care right now. It could be that you got a flat tire on the way to a meeting and was late, and you just don't know where God is. It could be any number of different things. Whenever you're hurting, whatever level it is, however personal it feels, remember that God has a purpose. He's using the difficult times to do something in you. 
In, in fact, I love the way Peter, who went through a lot of difficult times, describes it. And so that's where we're going to take ourselves to. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, God has a purpose. God is doing something. God is in the middle of it. Even though you don't understand it, God is using it to strengthen you. When you run toward him, your spiritual roots grow even deeper. God doesn't cause the pain every single time, but God can use the pain every single time. He has a purpose in the pain. You don't always sense it immediately, but when you continue to walk with God, you sense that, that he's with you. He's good. He's doing something in you, and as, and, and as you continue to walk with him, God has a purpose in your pain. The second thing I hope you'll remember, uh, the second thing was that when we're uh, dealing with the, the, the understanding if God's even there, okay, that God is always present in your pain. Okay? He has a purpose, and he, has, and he is present when you are hurting. In fact, Psalm uh, 46 verse 1 says that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. That ever-present, okay? He is with you. So often we want God to give us what we want. God, give me what I need, what I want, right? And God wants to show us that he is what we need. God, I want you to do this. And God says, I am the source of that which you need. And there's no better example to me than the Apostle Paul. We talk a lot about Apostle Paul. And if you don't know a lot about Paul, he was the guy that used to hate Christians, okay? He killed them, and he's radically transformed. This guy did more for the gospel than maybe anybody since Jesus Christ, okay? In my list, you, you could probably have Billy Graham, and then Paul above him, and then, of course, Jesus above Paul. You can count them on one hand, right? This guy's starting churches. He wrote a big portion of the New Testament. And when he gets this thing that he called a thorn, and we don't know what that thorn was, but it was massively painful, massively destructive in his life. He pleads with God three different times. You know, if God's going to heal anybody, he's going to heal the guy who suffered, who was beaten and left for dead, who has been shipwrecked for Jesus, snake bitten, whipped so many times that his back is scarred beyond measure, a guy who received a stoning for Jesus. Surely God's going to heal Paul. And Paul's like, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And God says to him in this, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul is saying, heal me, change my circumstances, fix my problems, reveal my pain. And God says, no, my grace is enough. But, but God, this is what I need. And God says, no, I am what you need. This is something that you can't even explain. It's something that you can only experience. It's something that you can never, ever tell someone else. This is how God helped me through whatever it might be. You cannot put it to words. When you've been there and you've experienced his presence, when he's carried you when you couldn't make it on your own, when he lifted you through your doubts, when he sustains you when you're aching in pain, when he comforted you when you, you didn't want to get up another day, when he gave you the hope to move forward, when you didn't even know if you could go on, you can testify there are times when he is enough, there are times when his grace is enough. Paul went on to say this actually is a, a good thing. Here's what he said. 
Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? When I am weak, his strength is made perfect in me. When I can't get on another day, he is there to carry me. He is always present in your pain. And some of you, you'll embrace this. You'll, you'll, you might say, I, I delight in my migraines because they draw me closer to Christ. Or I delight in this lonely season because I've experienced Emmanuel, God with us, like I've never have before. I delight in my job search because my God is my true provider. I delight in this difficult season because God is breaking me of self-sufficiency and training me to depend on him. Here's the bottom line. Some of you right now, you, you take that Instagram moment. It's the shot. It's the single moment. And you look at your life right where you are now. And you may have every right to say, you know what? I don't like it. I don't understand it. This moment in time, this doesn't seem fair. But if you take any 10-year season of your life and you pursue and walk with Jesus over that 10-year period, here's what you'll have. You'll be saying, I don't get that, didn't choose that, wouldn't have never wanted it in that moment. I don't get it. But over a 10-year period, you'll look back and say, God was with me during that. He was strong for me during that. And what he did through this, I could have never done on my own. Would never choose it, would never want to go through it again, but he was there for me if you walk through with faithfulness. Here's what a lot of people will say. A lot of people will ask this question. How can you believe in a God who doesn't seem to care? Why do bad things happen to good people? Here's another question you could ask, but I don't hear many people ask this, is why do good things happen to bad people? And I don't know about you, and I'm not proud to say this, but I'm kind of a bad person. And you, say, you might say, well, aren't you a pastor? And I say, yeah, I am a pastor, but I'm a sinful pastor. I don't get it right all the time. You know, I don't stand, stand on, this, on this podcast and preach to you saying that I'm above you. I'm just like everybody else. I, I'm a human being, okay? So why do good things happen to bad people? I'm not always a good person, and I'm here to tell you right now, if you were here or listening with us on week number two, we talked about the fact that, that we're all sinners, right? If anything good's ever happened to you, sometimes you have to sit back and say, well, why did God do something good for me when I'm a bad person? And you may say, my life's not incredibly blessed. And I would, I would beg to differ, okay? Because if you, if you were able to listen to this podcast right now, okay, you should be thankful for that. If you've got a lot of people around you that love you, I'd be thankful for that. If you drove somewhere in a car, I'd put you in the top 5% of the richest people on planet Earth. Okay? If you've got a toilet that flushes, that's a really, really awesome thing. Okay, You get to worship God. There are a lot of things to thank God for when you recognize God does a lot of really good things for a lot of really bad people. You might say, well, God, is God fair? And I'm going to tell you right now, no, he's not. And you're going to go, did a pastor just say that? Absolutely. God is not fair. He's not always fair. God is just, but he's not always fair. 
If God was always fair, he would give us what our sins deserve. But because he is just, he sent Jesus who paid the price. And scripture says this in Psalm 103. He says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Every now and then, you have to thank God that he is not always fair. He doesn't give us what our sins deserve. Whenever you're tempted to look at at whatever it might be, you know, the crazy stuff in this world or the personal things that feel unjust, God, why would you allow this? Here's something that I challenge you to do, okay? Don't just think about it from your perspective, but think about it from your heavenly father's perspective. A father who loves you, who has a a purpose in your pain and, and is with you when you're hurting. I'm going to tell you a story that, that, that still chokes me up to this day. And so as I tell it, and if I choke up a little bit, I apologize right now. But when my, when my daughter um, was a little girl, uh, around six, seven, or eight years old, she was outside playing in the snow, and she was sledding in the sli- side yard with her brother. And they, they were having a lot of fun until one day, uh, one trip down, I'm sorry, uh, something happened. Kaylee ran into a part of the deck or, or the stake in the ground that was down the hill on the neighbor's uh, uh, property. And we're not quite sure which one she hit, but she hit her head so hard that it cut a gash in her forehead. And it was so bad that we could actually see her skull, you know. And, uh, and of course, I'm at work at this time, and so my wife grabs the kids, rushes them to the emergency room, and calls me on the way. And I get there and waiting, and we're waiting in the waiting room, and my daughter's doing okay, and they have a bandage on her head, like some gauze and stuff, and it's bleeding pretty bad that they're constantly having to change the gauze probably every 15, 20 minutes. And we're waiting, which unfortunately was about two hours, and that's a whole other story on its own. But we finally get into the actual room, and the doctor looks at her and, and finally makes the decision, okay, everything's okay, but we need to stitch her up. And my daughter is not happy and, and, and doesn't like needles and, and is scared to death of what's going to happen. And, and so the doctor tries to do some stuff and my daughter um, kind of reacts and you know freaks out a little bit. And he says, hey, I'm going to have to have you help and hold your daughter down. And so while they gave her the shot to numb it and, and, and to stitch her, I, I'm holding her down. And the whole time my daughter is yelling, don't let them hurt me, daddy. Don't let them hurt me. The father who loved his child couldn't explain to her at that age that why I had to hold her down or why I had to put my weight on her while she screamed, no, 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 don't hurt me. You know, and tears are just pouring down my face and she's screaming and I'm holding her so strong because I loved her, but I had a purpose and I wasn't ever going to leave her. When you hurt, God hurts with you. And there are times when he wants to tell you, but you can't quite understand. I'm going to do something through this. There's a reason. I'm working and I'm still here. Guess what? He knows what it's like more than anybody else to hurt because he loved you so much that he did something that wasn't fair. He sent his son to die. And when Jesus became sin, Jesus looked up at the Father and said, My God, my God, why did you turn away from me? The Father knew he could not look upon sin, but because the Father loved you, 
He sent his son to die in your place. That is a love beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Our God is not a heartless God. Our God doesn't even just love you. He is love. It's not what he does. It's who he is. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us for another Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this series of I Want to Believe, but it was really fun for me to be able to talk to you about those questions and dealing with the types of different views of God that are out there. My hope is that you'll join us next week as we start a new series called Being Rich in What Matters Most. We'll talk to you then. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at ChandlerAcresChurch.com.